a much, 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 much better defensive mentality and pride than we have right now. Guys, welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate. Here today, Friday morning, after another stinky, stinky national TV performance for the New Orleans Pelicans. Here today with Jeff Nowak. Jeff, how are you doing? You know, I uh, I probably could have got some sleep yesterday instead of staying up and watching <laughs> what that game turned into. But uh, I probably don't feel as bad as the network's who decided to put this team on national television. Uh, how many times? 19 times in the first 30, uh, 36 games. Uh, that can't be, a, can't be a pleasant feeling when you look at the ratings after, uh, after every single time. I mean, have they played well on national television once this year? I don't think they have. I don't know how many miles New Orleans is away from New York, but I, I, I assume it's more than 1,000. But I'm pretty sure I could hear executives in a Manhattan uh, skyscraper screaming from New Orleans last night of like, oh, God, why did, why did we decide to put this team on national TV like every other game again for the second consecutive season? Has any team ever been put on national TV like this frequently and stunk it up this much in the history of the NBA? I think I, think I saw somebody throw on Twitter – they were one and seven on national TV uh, this season going into last night. I, I would have to double check that, but uh, it's been rough, man. I mean, it, it seems like a bad decision. It just seems like collectively our expectations have just been too high with this group for two years in a row. Yeah, I guess what you can say about this year is at least Zion is playing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's at least the one thing that the networks have going for him. But um, you know, even you know Zion actually, if you when you look at the box score. When you look at the box score, it doesn't show a game that went as poorly as the game yesterday did. Very efficient offensive performance, but you know, defensively, I just continue to be stunned by the lack of mobility for a guy who's that athletic and can move the way he does to be out of position as frequently as he is. To you know, and even on offense, I really was hoping to see just some development of his offensive game. He's leading the NBA in points of the paint, and that's great. But there's a reason, and it's because every time he touches the ball outside of the paint, he immediately puts his head down and drives it at three defenders. And a lot of times he'll score because he's that good. But where is the actual, you know, expansion of that game? I haven't seen it. Um, the Pelicans yesterday went <laughs> – I the numbers make no sense. The, they, the Pelicans played so well in the first quarter that it made the – game-long totals actually look reasonable. They went 8 for 11 from 3 in the first quarter and then finished the game 11 for 25. So that means from quarters 2 through 4, they shot 3 for 11 from 3-point range. No, 3 for 14 from 3-point range. And it just... You see the same movie play out over and over again. Stan Van Gundy got ejected from that game yesterday. Um... There was one point in the game that he allowed the Jazz to go on a 16 to two or 16 to four extended run and didn't call a timeout, despite several opportunities where it just screamed timeout. You know, there are points where you watch a game and you kind of like, as a viewer, you anticipate the timeout and you kind of like look away and then it's like, oh wait, they're still playing basketball, uh, because there's just points in a game that you know what timeout has to come and they didn't happen yesterday. I don't know. I, I've, 
I've run out of ways to justify the consistent struggles on defense, the consistent struggles in offense. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I feels like something has to change with this roster, uh, and it has to happen reasonably soon. Yeah, so here's where this team is right now. I mean, they, they put up 43 points in that first quarter. I mean, they couldn't miss from three. And, you know, immediately afterwards, I, I just had this pit in my stomach of like, oh, God, this, this still isn't going to end well. Like, I didn't feel any degree of confidence even after they had this incredible first quarter. I mean, it, it, just, it just feels like they can't sustain good play for 48 minutes. It doesn't even feel like they can sustain good play for 24 minutes right now. I mean, that's just the point that they're at. It's, it's just so, so bad. I mean, I wasn't surprised at all that they were, they were down at halftime. Like I was expecting it. And, you know, coming out of half, I was like, like, there's just no way they win this game. I mean, it, to me, it felt like it was going to be a double digit loss. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I think there's, a lot we could talk about and you know they have some some deep issues that like you know there, there are no band-aid fixes like this is you know a gash that's going to require like hospitalization and and surgery like there's a lot wrong with this team I mean on the defensive end Stan Van Gundy pretty much teed off on them last night I think that's something we could talk about the three-point shooting is awful after the Pelicans were, you know, surprisingly one of the best three-point shooting teams in the entire NBA last year. I think the Pelicans' starting backcourt has completely stunk it up. Um, I'm going to leave it up to you. What do you? What would you? I guess like to go in on first. I mean, of those three things, I guess what do you think is their biggest issue right now? Their biggest issue. That's a that's a loaded question. Um, there are two types of teams in the NBA. There are teams that are bad and play bad, and there are teams... Well, there's a lot more than two, but there are two types of bad teams in the NBA. There are teams that are bad and play badly because they don't have effort, they don't have hustle, they don't play with uh, a plan. They're just out there playing basketball. And then there are teams that are bad because they're learning, they're growing, they're improving, and they're, just, they're learning how to win games. They might still lose those games, but they put forth an effort that shows you that there's you know better things to come. And that is what you that latter part is what you haven't seen from the Pelicans in the last three games, uh, or you know the Kings game notwithstanding. That was kind of a weird one. But you know the second half of that game was very distressing to watch because you saw a lot of guys who didn't seem like they were putting out a winning effort at all. Um, the look on Brandon Ingram's face at the end of that game. <laughs> he's just staring 12 miles off into the distance. Like, that's not what you want to see. Um, and to me, beyond any schematic thing that you could fix, guys have to play with energy. When the, the it was uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes, and Josh Hart got on the floor at the end of the third quarter and made it a respectable score going into the final frame. I think they were down eight. That was the first time in the second half that I saw any extended energy from anyone on the floor and I don't know if that's a product of being on the road for six consecutive games or whatever it's been I don't know if it's a product of this kind of coronavirus uh, lockdown weighing on these guys a little bit if they're more fatigued based on the compressed uh, nature of the schedule I don't know but it's not a good look for a franchise that knows it's not a contender this season and just needs to see positive growth and that's a problem and if it 
if it's, it takes, you know, moving some guys or getting the young guys into the lineup, if you're going to lose, you might as well lose with the young players on the floor. Uh, and that's what's really frustrating when you have a guy like Kyra Lewis, who's just as capable of losing a basketball game as Lonzo Ball is, uh, not getting any minutes in these games. And that's what's frustrating to me because I'd like to at least see something where you can look at and say, well, at least we saw what this guy has to offer. At least we got a look at, you know, Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyra Lewis, all these guys who are, for better or worse, going to be the future of this roster um, unless there are more trades. So that, to me, that's – you got to do something. You got to shake it up. You can't keep throwing Lonzo Ball at the two and hoping he figures it out. Um, yeah. It, it it feels like you have to do something. I mean, it, it feels like you, you've just got to shake it up at this point. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe they give it one more game and just, you know, see what that starting lineup looks like against a really, really bad Minnesota team. But um, it gets it gets late early in the NBA. Um, so, th- like, you know, kind of the messaging from the front office and the coach was, we're trying to thread this needle. Like, yes, we are playing the long game here. We're amassing all these first-round picks. We have the Bucks 2027 first-round pick, but it's also important for us to win right now. That's why we went out and got Steven Adams and signed him to a extension. That's why we went out and got Eric Bledsoe. Um, they're not threading the needle right now. I mean, they're just, they're just not good. This feels so bad. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, I guess he's developing a, a little bit. Like, he wasn't even playing at the beginning of the year. I mean, he's kind of – he's getting those backup minutes now, which, you know, that's good. Um, Kyra Lewis Jr. Ky- Kyra Lewis Jr., you have a guy you just used a first-round pick. He can't even get minutes. I mean, and in the very limited time we've seen him on the floor, I actually think he showed a little bit of promise. But, you know, it's not really enough of a sample size to, to make judgments one way or the other. I mean, I think he's like – not look scared out there, which is like an encouraging first sign and a first sign only. So yeah, it, it, it does feel like there's, you know, definitely a move at guard to make the season a roster shakeup. Um, I think, we, I think I want to talk about the defense a little bit. Um, that was, you know, Stan Van Gundy's biggest talking point after just another demoralizing loss in Utah. Um, I just kept thinking back to the home opener against the Spurs when the Pelicans scored 98 points and still won. And Stan had this big grin on his face after the game. Like, man, like it, it might sound crazy, but I love winning this way. Like the Pelicans were doing the things that he wanted them to do. I mean, they're guarding on the perimeter. They're walling off the paint. They weren't sending the other team to the free throw line. The Jazz got to the free throw line 25 times uh, on Thursday night. Um, they were doing a reasonable job of contesting threes. Like, whatever progress they'd made during training camp on that end has completely eroded. And I think there's blame you can put in a lot of places. Um, I'll just start with this. Like, their their two-star forwards, I think, just need to be better on defense. I mean, go look at Zion's on-off splits on defense. I mean, just watch the games. Like, it's brutal, man. I mean, he was a, a really good defender at Duke. And I know young guys struggle when they come into the league. But it, it shouldn't be this bad. There's no way. I mean, you go back and look at, like, what all the draft heads were saying about Zion coming in to the NBA. They're saying this is a guy with defensive player of the year potential. I mean, eventually, not immediately. But he looks, like, miles and miles away from that. And I think Brandon Ingram is a guy who's not, still not a very good defender. I mean, we're in year five. Um, 
you know, there are, there are a lot of issues on that end. Um, but I think, you know, one of the starting points is like these two young guys who you're just building everything around, like at some point they just kind of have to step up. Yeah. And, and Zion on the defensive end is, it, it, it always goes back to the fact that he's a six, six guy who is really a center. Uh, and he, when Steven, when he's on the floor with Steven Adams, he's not the center. So who is he guarding? He's going to end up getting switched on to guys who are much faster than him, much or able to get by him. And then they get a free run at the paint and Steven Adams has to commit. And you just, I mean, every time the Pelicans yesterday, for instance, felt like they had some momentum, some momentum, it seemed like Rudy Gobert was getting an easy lob at the bucket or Mike Conley was putting Zion on skates and going by him. And the ability to kind of put him in positions that he can't, uh, that he can't deal with at his size and his mobility level is a problem because you want to have Steven Adams on the floor for, for, to as a defensive bonus as a defensive addition but to do that you have to put Zion in a uh, compromised defensive situation Uh, so it's and these are the issues that were very easy to kind of predict when you brought in a guy like Steven Adams because he's not a rangy guy Um, he's a guy who's gonna who's gonna glue himself to the paint and take away shots at the rim and I think he's done that uh, but it's the perimeter defense that they have not shown capable of, uh, of doing at a high enough level to win games. Uh, I pointed out a stat to you before uh, that the Pelicans actually lead the NBA in contested threes. And I think that stat is a bit misleading uh, based on how you track contested threes. Are these actual contests or are they late runouts that don't actually affect the shot? But I think it does... I think there is a level of uh, regression to the mean that happens throughout any NBA season. And that is, you know, I think Pelicans opponents since that start where teams really struggled to shoot have shot really well against the Pelicans. And uh, whether there's a, a schematic thing that, you know, they're not, they're allowing too many easy shots, which I think is definitely true to an extent. I think that they have run into a few really hot teams. The Jazz are playing about as well as anyone in the NBA right now. I think they have the third best record in the NBA and when you're a team like the Pelicans that struggles to shoot outside of the first quarter of last night, you're going to have a hard time keeping pace. J.J. Redick is mind-bogglingly bad at shooting the basketball right now, and I do not – there is literally no part of my brain that understands how J.J. Redick has forgot how to shoot a basketball, but it seems to be the case. He went 6-for-11 in the opener, and since he has shot 30% from three-point range in his career – he has never shot below 36%. In five of the last six years, he has shot over 40% from three-point range. He is an all-time great shooter who can't shoot right now. And <laughs> it, it's so bizarre to see stuff like that happen. And I don't know if if there's other things going on. And maybe he psychs himself out because it's so quiet. I don't know. But uh, I think the shooting, the shooting more than anything else, you know, you, you look at the defense – and all that, but on the other end of the floor, it's the shooting that is just non-existent. Josh Hart can't hit a corner three to save his life right now. Uh, he's shooting 40% above the break. He's shooting about 30% below the break. Uh, so why would you run out to him in the corner? Eric Bledsoe was the only guy last night that looked confident shooting, and on one shot, he missed the rim by about a foot and a half. Uh, it's, I don't know. It, Brandon Ingram started that game as hot as anyone, but I don't know if he... he got fatigued he was bumbling the ball around a lot in the second half I don't know what that was about I think they were blitzing him a little bit when he touched the ball but you know the consistency on offense the ball movement just does not 
happen. Uh, and that's especially true late in the game when you need to just buckle down. So here's a question I've been wrestling with and I've talked about with uh, a few people online, and it's one I don't know the answer to. How much does you know poor offense and struggling to score the basketball affect your energy level on defense? I mean, does it even, I guess, is like the starting point. I mean, I think it does to some degree. I mean, I think some guys in the league are better than others at, like, uh, being able to compartmentalize. Like, I think those guys in Boston, uh, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, like, those guys generally are just going to kind of defend no matter what, and that's part of what makes them really, really good. I mean, that's probably the biggest reason why that's such a better pairing than, like, you know, Zion and Brandon Ingram. Like, those guys are great on defense night in and night out. Um, You know, Steven Adams – I think for the most part has done his job on defense. Like I think he's doing, you know, what they've asked him to do. I mean, really, I think the problem is around him and when he goes to the bench, I mean, there's, there's no one that they can put in at backup center who can do even like a credible job on the defensive end. I mean, they've tried to go to Zion. Like he's just too small. He's slow footed. He's not enough of a good defensive rebounder. I mean, you know, Jackson Hayes, it's almost like the Bruno Caboclo thing. Like, he's two years away from being two years away, and we're in year two right now. Um, you know, I think when you look at that pick, it's not – I mean, there's some time, but it's not looking pretty, man. I mean, they, they had the number one overall pick. They they grabbed this guy who's an incredible interior scorer, um, and they knew they are going to have to put shooting around him. And then seven picks later, you know, they, they grab a center who's going to take a lot of time to develop – who even in the best case scenario was not a guy who's probably going to have a jump shot. Like that's, that's not looking so good right now. I mean, Jackson Hayes has shown some development. I mean, it was always going to take a long time for him to develop, but it's, it's not looking good right now. So I don't, I don't know like what the answer is when Adams goes to the bench. I mean, I don't know what's worse of going Zion at the five or just continuing to roll with Jackson Hayes. I mean, they haven't given Willie Hernan Gomez much run really. I mean, he's a third string guy. Um, I don't know what the right answer is there. Yeah, and, and the issue with, with running Zion a lot at the five is you've seen the Pelicans struggle to score. Uh, and he's he is, you know, as much as I've complained about Zion on the defensive end, he's an elite scorer right now. <laughs> you know, he's leading the NBA in points in the paint, uh, and they need that. That's kept them in a lot of these games, even the ones they've lost, has kept them in touch a lot of the time. I think the Heat game on Christmas Day is a good example of that. Um, and there is a lot of energy that you are going to expel if you're Zion Williamson banging in the post against centers uh, that they want to reserve for the offensive side of the floor. So, you know, I, that, that's another factor. You know, wh- I think they would be better uh, defensively with him in the interior than with him on the exterior, if you want to look at it that way. But there are there's a give and take there. And he also won't be able to get out in transition the way that he is able to if he's guarding a perimeter player. But... Uh, Jackson Hayes is tough. You know, I think there's going to be a very big uh, pull towards saying, okay, this guy's a bust. He's a number eight pick. He has not had an impact in his first two years. I think, you know, if you had that pick back and you knew going in that he was going to play his first two seasons and never get a true off-season conditioning program where <laughs> you could really just load him up and try to get him a little bigger, a little bulkier, a little stronger, you wouldn't pick him. Uh, because if there was, if there's any player in that draft who got more impacted by not being able to have a true off season program, it's him. 
It's a guy who just needed to put on 10, 15 pounds and wasn't able to be in a room with more than one person at a time for his entire offseason that was also limited and broken up by a bubble experience uh, that that wasn't productive for anyone on the Pelicans. Um, so I'm going to reserve judgment on Jackson until you see him get into a real a real rhythm of what an NBA season is supposed to be like. He's not good right now, um, but he he's always playing with energy. And like I said, I, I would prefer that over just just bad basketball. Um, so I don't know. I, I think there is a point where you have to where you have to cut bait on uh, those those meaningful minutes for him. Um, if if he's not able to hold up in the post, because you can't put him in there against Rudy Gobert, you know you you can't ask him to do that. Even a guy like uh, Favors is just going to bully him in the post, and <laughs> Favors knows better than most uh, how easy he is to bully in the post. So I, I just I don't know what the what the solution is there, but um, I'm not willing to give up on Jackson uh, quite yet. I think he's. Uh, he just needs time, and that's what you knew when you made that pick. Yeah, I mean he's he's done a better job rebounding this year. Um, he's actually you know been pretty good on the glass overall. Um, I think you know contesting without fouling is still an issue. Um, that was probably his biggest one last year. Is like you know he just he just can't like put his arms straight up in the air and just like go vertical. I mean he's always like slumped them over and hacking guys. I think that's. Still a little bit of a problem, and I've seen some some minor improvements here and there, but I still think that's a pretty significant issue. Um, but no, I, I hear you, man, and I'm not you know I'm not calling him a bust or anything like that. Like I think he's got a, a good chance to be a player in the league. Um, I'm just saying, like he's not that right now. Um, so, I mean, they ha- they have a lot of issues on defense. I mean, here's here's I think part of the problem is that they actually looked pretty good like I think the defense was in a good place after that two-week training camp when you know they're able to drill this stuff like every single day for two weeks in a row and like they just can't get in the gym and practice right now like I think I don't want to make excuses for them but I think that is part of the problem the weird nature of this season like they can't get practice time like I asked Stan a couple days ago like you know how's Wendy Gabriel doing like I know he's injured during training camp and you wanted to get him to you wanted to get him up to speed how like How's that going? He's like, well, he's practiced one time. Like, that's just where the Pelicans are. Like, they can go, you know, a week and a half and, and practice once. So they're trying to make all these changes in in film sessions with the young team, and I think that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and, and I and I, I think you asked Zion that last night about that, and uh, he, you know, it, and it's, it, it is weird because you look at this team, and one of the things that really stood out to me, it's like I'm not – surprised that this team is losing I'm surprised to see a team seem like it's getting worse as the season goes on you know they seem to be regressing on a lot of the elements that they it looked like they had to some degree ironed out uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball and how does that happen how do how do players kind of fall back into bad habits the way that the Pelicans have and you know find themselves out of position constantly (laughs) there's one play that Zion literally ran the wrong direction uh late in the game (laughs) And, and and I think that's, you know, you have to look at that. You have to look at the fact that they've played two games in three nights against a really good team, and they should go out to Minnesota tomorrow and play another game. You know, wh- when do you correct these issues? When do you coach 
when do you help young players stop making these mistakes? It's during practice. You know, you're not going to be able to do uh, the type of coaching in a, in a, you know, dark classroom watching uh, tape that you will on the floor. And there's just not enough time to do that. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think as frustrating as it is, I think it's just as frustrating for the players. Yeah. And I think this is like, I think there's a pretty good case that this is the most difficult road trip in team history. I mean, they, they've only had, it was supposed to be seven games. It's six because that Mavericks game got postponed. They've only had one seven gamer in team history before. Um, They're basically on the road for two weeks straight. And like these guys are pretty much just holing up in their hotel rooms when they're not playing basketball. Like I think it's, it's just not that fun. I mean, there's a lot, there's many worse existences than like, you know, staying in a five-star hotel and, like, watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever. But, you know, that being said, I don't think it's a, a lot of fun. Like, these guys, they can't, like, you know, go outside and, like, get a coffee or see the sunshine or anything. So I don't think it's very fun, and they've played, like, just a murderous row of teams. I mean, the Lakers, Clippers, and Jazz are probably, you know, three of the, the five best teams in the, in the entire NBA right now. So the schedule has not done them any favors either. Um, well, I, I do want to say, like, it is it is so funny to look back and the everything seemed so like it was going so well until the final 30 seconds against the Pacers. That's the inflection <laughs> point, since man. That point, since that point, everything's been bad. <laughs> everything has been bad. The end of that, that overtime was bad. They lost to Oklahoma City. They lost to Charlotte. And then and then we've gotten here. And I do think it's it's fair to pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, this season is completely lost because it's not. It's the fact is it's not. They're five and nine. They're better than they have a much better record than they did uh, last year after fourteen games. And you know, the schedule will not be L.A. L.A. Sacramento Utah Utah the entire season. You know, those are four high-caliber Western Conference playoff teams. And Sacramento, they beat Sacramento. That the, the only saving grace here for this for this stretch is that they beat Sacramento. And it's a good thing they did because otherwise you'd be staring in the face of a, what, eight-game losing streak as you close out this this uh, stretch. But, you know, they, they do have winnable games coming up. So you, you'd hope to see they get back home. They get a couple days. No, they don't. They don't. They don't get any days. Uh, <laughs> the whole season. Well, actually, they get a little break in March, but that's it. They actually have a back-to-back coming up uh, <laughs> with the Bucks and the Rockets. <laughs> ah. uh, but um, you know, I, there are winnable games. You really need to to beat Minnesota. They don't have Carl Anthony Towns. That's if this team wants to get back on a, the winning track, you need to be able to win that type of game. Um, and so you know, you get you you end this road trip at six and nine. I don't think that's the, you know, when you looked at the schedule going in, I don't think that's that's the worst thing you could have hoped for. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, two things. Um, number one, how many points do you think Christian Wood has in that Rockets game? 45 over-under? He's, he's a leading scorer right now, yeah. Yeah, I would put the over-under 45. And then uh, my second and thing Bogey. was, uh, <laughs> did, did you notice uh, the way Stan Van Gundy used his timeouts at the end of that Sacramento game? I mean, you could tell after that Indiana game where – you know, he saved him, and it pretty much cost him the game, let's be honest. Like, he was thinking at the end of that Sacramento game, like, man, I am not going into the end of this game with any timeouts in my back pocket. Like, we are using these, and I'm going to make sure we don't commit any stupid turnovers in our own backcourt. Like, we are not blowing another game like this. No, sir, no way. Yeah, so 
this is another thing that I've that I've felt throughout. Do you think? Do you feel that Stan Van Gundy's a little rusty as an in-game coach right now? Because I do. He seems to make a few strange decisions a game as like a game manager, and there aren't that many decisions that a coach throughout the course of a game actually gets to make. Like, what do you uh, mean other like, than the Indiana thing? He's challenged a couple plays that just seemed odd. He's not challenged a couple plays that seemed odd. He, you know, even the ejection yesterday. Why did he get ejected there? Like, what were, what was the energy that you were trying? To, he, if you're gonna get ejected, earn it. He, he kind of just, yeah. he kind of just like stumble over to the to the ref, and uh, I don't know. I, I just there are moments throughout a game where you want to see the coach kind of take charge and like not calling a timeout yesterday as the Jazz just completely took over that game was odd to me. I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's uh. Man, it's a it's a really tough season to be trying to turn around the culture in a place and like, you know, work with some young guys to form some some good habits. It's just a really difficult season to try to try to try to do those things. Um, let's talk about the three point shooting real quick. I mean, this was something that I touched on after the first Utah game. Um, I believe Utah won the battle behind the arc twenty one to six. Um, I believe the Pelicans have lost the three-point battle in 12 of their 14 games so far. Um, right now, they're 28th in three-point attempts and 27th in three-point percentage. Um, Lonzo Ball, 29%. He's one of the worst high-volume three-point shooters in the entire NBA. I mean, you could do a basketball reference search of guys who take at least five per game. He's like 79 of 83 people on that list or something. I mean, he's, he's right near the bottom. Um, J.J. Redick, which you briefly hit on, 32%, I mean, an all-time great shooter who's just not making shots. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Nicole Amelli, 19%. Um, maybe he just can't make threes at the NBA level. Like, it's kind of looking more and more like that's the case. I mean, I believe he's like 31, I mean, 32%. Has he taken? Like, yeah. he, hasn't, he hasn't been playing. I mean, he's been, he's been rough to watch. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. Um, and, you know, when I look at um, – Ball's not shooting a good percentage at all. Bledsoe's not – Bledsoe's not shooting a bad percentage. He's in the mid-30s. But, like, no one respects the Pelicans' guard shooting. Like, you know, the offense in the half court is kind of flowing through Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson right now. And, you know, they don't have much space to work with. And I think everybody assumes, like, well, that's, um, you know, 95% of that is because they're throwing Steven Adams out there with those two. And I don't – I mean, that's part of it. I'm not. I'm not denying that it is, but I don't think it's – as much as a lot of people think. I mean, last year, they started two non-shooters together in Zion Williamson and Derek Favors. It was never remotely this bad. Um, you know, I, I think it would help a lot if, if you know, Lonzo or, or Eric Bledsoe could just be threats on the catch-and-shoot jumper. Um, and, you know, neither of those guys are really game-in and game-out threats to, like, get to the rim either. I mean, I think the starting backcourt is – a real problem. And, you know, like we said earlier, like we're getting to the point where if this doesn't get better quickly, like maybe it is time to shake some things up. Right. And you know, what you can say about Eric Bledsoe and, and even Josh Hart is, you know, they can, they will drive on a closeout and attack the rim and at least, you know, force the defense to react. It's just not what Lonzo Walt does. Um, and if they're not, a spacing it in the NBA is, is such a different situation from uh, college is such a different situation from, you know, all levels of basketball because the rim protection is so good that like, if you're planting two, two people in the paint and saying, okay, Zion, see what you can do. 
all you have to do is kick it out and you should get a wide open three. And all you have to do is trust that your guy in the corner is going to make that shot, but the Pelicans don't have a guy they can trust to make that shot. Um, you know, the only guy that you actually chase around is JJ Redick. And if you only have one guy that you have to chase around, you're the, it's advantage defense. Um, Josh Hart, as I mentioned before, he's shooting in the low thirties on catch and shoot corner threes. It should be an easy shot for whatever reason. I don't know if it doesn't fit his arc. He, he shoots much better from above the break, but that's not where you need it. He's a wing on this team, you know, <laughs> and you need a wing to be able to space to the corner and create that horizontal <laughs> cushion between the basket, you know, and the, and the corner. And there's just no one that can draw anyone into that area of the floor. And I think I don't think there's anything you can do but make a trade for a shooter. I really don't. Uh, because this isn't something that you're going to say, oh, hopefully Nikhil develops into a shooter. Hopefully, uh, you know, I think Nikhil is a decent shot, but that he's not a guy who's going to threaten defenses. Like there's just a glaring lack of a knockdown shooter on this team, especially when you're the only guy who you can call a sniper is not a sniper right now. His gun has jammed. Uh, and again, you, you pointed out 32%. He went six for 11 in the opener. If you go in the last 13 games, it's it's more like 27%, which just boggles my mind and, uh, I don't know. I, I keep going back to the fact that this roster construction doesn't make sense. I don't know whether it's more difficult to make a trade this season than it has been. The Rockets seem to manage it. Uh, but even then, you know, you got another thing to remember is when you do make a trade, it's not like they're going to show up on Tuesday and play. Uh, it's a much more difficult situation because you have to put them through quarantine and, and do all of that. So you, you would end up losing pl- multiple players for – uh, you know, whoever's involved in that trade is not going to be available for you to play and you will not have the people you traded for either. So it wouldn't surprise me if this runs goes on a little longer because you don't want to deal with that situation uh, this early in the season. But I, I don't see it getting better until they make some sort of adjustment to bring in a shooter. How, how much do you think it would cost to clone Joe Harris? And should we start a GoFundMe to make that happen? Uh, so you're assuming Joe Harris isn't already a clone of somebody else. <laughs> well, he, he kind <laughs> of looks like, like a clone it. from like every guy I ever saw at like a Pretty Lights concert uh, when I lived in Colorado. Yeah, he's got like some, some like oh I saw fish at uh, at Mile High <laughs> Stadium vibes, especially when they wear those those blue tie dye jerseys. Uh, but no, I don't think he's a clone. All I want is Joe Ingles. He would be Jingles, great in this. Ingles would be the perfect <laughs> the perfect player. For this exact situation the Pelicans are struggling with. Oh, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, they, like, not only, I mean, really good shooter, um, defends, you know, handles the ball, really good passer, and, you know, he, he's just an incredible shit talker, too. Like, there's an element of confidence and bravado that I think is just missing on this team. Like, that team is just missing that thing of, like, like, kind of the lovable asshole. Like, they don't really have any of those. And, like, somebody who is just willing to, like, get in there and mix it up a little bit. They don't have that. And and the Pelicans already have representation in that part of the world. You can add Australia to New Zealand. I, that's <laughs> what I want. I want Jingle and Joe. Anyway. But, yeah, I, I the, it's so difficult to look at this team and see a group that can improve on the offensive side of the ball without – some sort of uh, infusion of shooting um, because players just don't improve from a shooting perspective throughout the course of a season, the way that they would have to, to uh, turn this roster into one that 
uh, is going to threaten defenses the way it needs to. Um, it can get better defensively. Um, so I, I, I do think that the team just needs to kind of show some grit at this point and, and buckle down because as, as frustrating as it is to play defense in a uh, situation where you're constantly missing shots and you're coming back and you're, you're playing extended possession after extended possession and uh, the opponent never has to take the ball out of the basket, energy is going to be a big part of that every time, uh, whether that's getting out to contest a shot, getting out to fight over a screen rather than getting caught on it. That's something that you can control, and they did not yesterday, and they did not uh, in the second half against – I mean, they did not in either of these Jazz games, and that's been the case in the second half of a lot of these games. Yeah, one of the, I guess, like, you know, positive surprising stories last season was Lonzo Ball fixing his jump shot. As you might remember, he was shooting that thing in the left side of his body when he was with the Lakers. He started shooting it on the right side of his body, which, great, you're not shooting it at a freaking diagonal anymore. That was a big step. Um, he was up to 37% last year. I mean, is it fair to wonder if that was a little bit of a mirage? I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, here's how here's how little confidence Lonzo has in his jump shot right now. Like, they were kind of going in last night. He made two of his first four, and then the ball gets swung to him in the third quarter at the top of the key. No one's around him, and he won't even take, like, a, a wide-open three from the top of the arc. He does the thing where he waited for the defender to close out on him. He took, like, three dribbles. He took a contested 17-footer. I mean, he's just, like... He's just like freezing. I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean, the obvious counter when your shot isn't falling, if you're a six foot six guard, is drive the basketball, get to the rim, get to the free throw line. Like, and he just he can't or won't do that. I mean, maybe he's just never going to have that part of his game. But I mean, when you're a six foot six guard, you can't shoot and you can't get to the rim. I mean, I don't I don't know what you do offensively. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, when I watched Lonzo last night, I, I felt like I was watching a guy who didn't understand what he was being asked to, or didn't understand what his role in the offense was or, you know, how he was supposed to be impacting the play. There was, there was one play where he and Eric Bledsoe stood on the same side of the floor in the corner for like five seconds and didn't realize the other one was there. And it, I think that that kind of filters into, you know, stuff like shot mechanics and confidence shooting the ball. And I don't know. I, I, I don't, know why you would even try to play him at the two he's he's not he's not a two he will never be a two and it doesn't work uh he needs to be on the ball or he doesn't make sense in an NBA offense the the biggest thing that you have not seen from him this year has been any success in the pick and roll <laughs> at all he should be able to run the pick and roll with Zion Steven Adams and get you know easy shots at the rim you know that should be a, a perk of having him in that role and I haven't seen that. I mean, the Pelicans got maybe one easy shot the entire fourth quarter of that game, and it was from Brandon Ingram kind of dumping it off to Steven Adams. Uh, that, there's another stat. They had 14 assists in the first quarter. They ended with 27, and I think that there was some generous stat keeping there because I did not see 13 assists in the, second, in the final three quarters of that game. Um, but it, there was no easy shots either. And that's if you're not making threes, you're not – generating any easy shots you're going to struggle it's just gonna happen uh so i don't know whether you stagger eric bledsoe and lonzo ball maybe you bring lonzo ball off the bench and let him kind of lead a second unit uh they seem to be reticent to do that hesitant to do that so far 
Um, but you got to look at some of these options. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a popular idea among a lot of the Pelicans fans of, oh, let's just bring, you know, Lonzo off the bench and we'll start Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, I think that does help you a little bit offensively, but here's what I would say. Um, Nikhil is, um, you know, he, he's a, he's a great shot maker, but he doesn't, you know, he's not a great assist guy and he turns the ball over a lot. I mean, I think that's really what a, a big part of the issue is, is just how turnover prone he is. I mean, you know, Lonzo and Eric Bledsoe are not like, they're committing a lot of careless turnovers every game. And like, I think, you know, that is a change you could make if you're confident that the Nikhil Alexander Walker would really help you out in that department. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. And, you know, I think he competes on defense. Like it's probably a drop off from Lonzo on that end. Uh, to what degree? I'm not really sure. But I think if, if Nikhil, you know, was a little bit better of a decision maker then it would be an easy decision to make but you know that's that's what makes it difficult um and I I just want to make it clear like there's no there's no miracle solution right now like I've been I've been pretty critical of Lonzo Ball all year um because he just hasn't played well and I've taken a lot of heat from the Lonzo stands Zoe Anon that's what I that's what I'm gonna start calling them Zoe Anon um who just don't want to live in reality I'm sorry but like I don't I don't think just benching Lonzo like I don't feel confident that that solves a lot of the Pelicans' problems. Like, the issues run deep here, and there's so much more than, like, Lonzo isn't playing how he should. The, the funny thing is here, like, I'm very critical of Lonzo, but I actually really like Lonzo Ball as a basketball player. I really do. I want him to succeed. It's just him and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a really interesting case study because I think that they are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum of irrational confidence versus irrational, uh, you know, just hesitance. And like, I think Nikhil, one of the things that made it difficult to put him on the floor is he doesn't have, you know, a bone in his body that says, I shouldn't shoot this right now. He's going to get his shots up. He's going to get to the rim. He's going to turn it over. And, and when you're a young player and the coach doesn't trust you to not turn it over an insane amount of times, you're going to have a hard time getting on the floor when you're a veteran player and, uh, or, you know, even Alonzo, where you're kind of in the final year of your rookie contract and you've earned that trust of the coach and you are playing with this, like, you know, deer in the headlights, uh, you know, style. And that that's the opposite end of the issue. Uh, and, you know, you saw what Nikhil can do when he shots on and he's getting to the rim and he's dropping, thir- what, he had 37, five games ago maybe. Um, and then you saw what can happen when he, the shot's not going in and he makes a few kind of bonehead plays and, you know, he, that around the back move doesn't quite work and he gets the ball kind of driven back into his forehead by Rudy Gobert. Um, and, it's it's just interesting to see that. And, you know, <laughs> you, you want to see Lonzo Ball playing confidently, playing quickly, making quick decisions, making the correct decisions. And But when you see him kind of just catch a ball in the corner and think, I probably shouldn't shoot this, and you can, like, see the gears turning in real time, that's a problem. And you, you have to find a way to get him back to playing confident basketball uh, whatever way that is. Um, and I don't know if that's taking him out of the starting lineup, but I, the way that he is handling himself in that situation, uh, is not good for him. And it's not good for, not good for the Pelicans. uh, If they're looking to trade him and trying to get some value out of, uh, that the final year of his contract either. And it's not good for, you know, the team on the floor. So Jeff, in some strange way, this felt a little bit therapeutic. I mean, I just, I just needed to talk through this stuff with somebody. All right, there was like, it was a lot weighing on me. It was, it felt very heavy. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I could, uh, I'm glad I could be a sounding board. 
because this is a lot of what I was yelling at my uh, TV screen last night, too. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of yelling at my wife last night, and she was like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to sleep. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this was a freaking 927 start time, and it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I think, you know, to be fair, I may be, I may be taking out some of my frustrations uh, with the fact that I've had to stay up until 11 o'clock to watch these terrible basketball <laughs> games, right? Like, it's bad enough when they start at 7 and they're bad, but then they're over by 9.30 and you're in bed at a reasonable hour and you're like, yeah, there, there could be worse. I'm staying up late just to just to watch just bad basketball, and it just <laughs> makes it all the more unpleasant. Now I'm tired today, so I'm ranting. I haven't had enough coffee yet, and you know. Well, I I feel a little bit better. Thank you for thank you for listening. Yeah, hopefully hopefully the people who listen to this uh, get the same <laughs> get the same get the same uh, effect because I I understand the frustration. That's what I want to make clear is I can. A lot of times I think when people are freaking out on Twitter and getting upset and getting over emotional, you know, you need to pump the brakes. I'm usually the pump the brakes guy on Twitter. Uh, I, I am not that guy right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm with you, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling anybody to, to pump the brakes. Um, all right, Jeff. Well, hopefully the next time we talk, things are, are looking a little bit better. Um, maybe the schedule allows for that. Maybe the Pelicans can get back to New Orleans and practice a little bit, but uh, we'll see, man. Hey, one way or another, we have a holiday coming up. What's that? Drew Holiday. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, that'll be cool. It's going to be a, a tough game. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, it's not going to be a uh, pleasant holiday, but it will be a holiday. <laughs> All right. All right, thanks.